This message was recorded during a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. All right. Well, guys, uh, in the previous three weeks that we've had together, I have focused on God's gracious initiative in giving us His Word. This is the way it should always begin. God always takes the first step. We love because He first loved us. And you could say that about Scripture itself. Scripture is first and foremost a gracious initiating act of God's covenant love for the world and for His people. And so what we've seen is that God, uh, that the Scriptures are God's gracious covenant initiative to us. God acts in the world and acts upon us and acts upon His people through His Word. And God comes to be present with us, with His people, through His Word. So, at the very least, we think of the Scriptures as God's covenant work in our lives, God's covenant action in our lives, and God's covenant presence in our lives. We also have seen over the last couple of weeks how God as triune is involved in revealing Himself through the Scriptures. The Father uh, makes plans and promises, and God in love sends His Son to reveal Himself, and He makes His Word known to the prophets. Uh, the Father works in these ways. The Son of God comes to reveal to us the glory of God, to, to act according to the character of God, and to speak the words of God that He has received from the Father and gives them to us, and, and He makes provision for His Word and His, in the, in his glorious revelation to pre, be preserved for us in the Scriptures. And we have seen how the Spirit is at work in accomplishing the Word of God throughout history. And the Spirit is at work in the inspiration of the Scriptures and the preservation of the truth and the illumination of the Word of God in our own lives and in our own hearts. So Father, Son, and Spirit at work in revealing God to us, revealing the glory of God to us, and preserving the truth for us and opening our eyes and our lives to the Word of God. So all that I've done so far, so you can see three out of our four classes have been focused on the love of God and the action of God in Scripture, and that's the way it should be, honestly. And I hope what we've seen here too is, is as we thought about the Scriptures, it is a covenant word. God always uh, operates with His people in covenant in the Scripture. Uh, and God, by His grace, calls people into this covenant love relationship with Himself. And He always, in every covenant that He gives throughout Scripture, He guides His people by His Word. He he rules His people by His Word. He, he changes His people by His Word. He loves His people by His Word. So again, as we engage with Scripture, we should think about it this way. It is a covenant Word for us. It is God calling us by His grace to Himself in relationship with Himself under His authority, under His guidance, under His blessing. And it is God uh, coming to be present and commune with His people. So again, as we come to Scripture, what, what we should do first is 
remember the, the covenant grace and love of God and action of God and presence of God in our lives. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the covenant formula all throughout Scripture. And the way God carries out that being our God and calling us to be his people is through his word. And he's given us the scriptures to do that even now in this new covenant role. And he draws us into this Trinitarian life with him. Uh, being children of our Father who loves us. And, and being united to Jesus Christ by faith. And being filled with the Spirit of God. And the scriptures uh, draw us into this communion with the triune God. What a gift it is. So that's the initiative of God in Scripture. What I want to close with this morning is thinking about our uh, response to the Scriptures, our response to the Word of God, and how we ourselves engage with the Scriptures. And these uh, points I want to make about our response to the Scriptures or our attitude about the Scriptures, or our engagement with the Scriptures, it, again, it is, it, it's flowing out of the picture of the Word of God that we've seen over the first three weeks. I don't think we could do what we are about to do properly. We can't talk about how we should respond to the Scriptures and how we should read the Scriptures unless we understand those first things first. They won't make proper sense to us. The context of God's gracious covenant and God's gracious initiative, and God's gracious action, and God's gracious presence through His Word. These things would not properly make sense. So I want to, this morning, uh, offer, if I have time, six responses of God's people to His Word in the Scriptures. How, what kind of people should we be as we come to the Scriptures? And let me mention, for starters... Uh, this little book by Matt Smethurst called Before You Open Your Bible, uh, I commend to you. I love that he wrote this little book because I think he captures here uh, biblical concepts of what we should do when we read the Scriptures. And you can get this book for about $4. Uh, it's very short, very brief. And uh, the, the subtitle is Nine Heart Postures for Approaching God's Word. And so I find this little book to be helpful I'll also mention, for what I'm going to do this morning, a book by Kevin DeYoung called Taking God at His Word is also helpful. He, uh, he thinks about the nature of Scripture according to traditional theological categories. Uh, but it's, a, it's a, also a fairly short book and uh, readable and helpful as well. So if you're interested in pursuing some of these things further... Uh, those two books would be ones that I commend to you. Now, when people talk about the nature of Scripture, theologically, they use terms like the authority of Scripture and the sufficiency of Scripture and the necessity of Scripture and the clarity of Scripture. These are traditional theological categories. And what I want to do this morning does capture those four categories. I think they, given what we've seen so far, those four things are true about the Bible and uh, I want to think through them uh, perhaps a little bit more practically in terms of our own heart responses. But I hope what you'll see is that these heart responses or these ways that we engage with the Bible as Christians uh, happen because those things are true. The authority of Scripture, 
the necessity, the sufficiency, the clarity, and so forth. And I'll point those things out as we go along. Well, let's do this. I'll try to, uh, uh, it may feel like a, a lot very fast, and I'll mention a number of scriptures here which you may want to jot down or turn to if you have the time, uh, but just um, it may feel like a lot, of, a lot of things, but we'll also have the, this recorded, and so you can go back and listen to some of this if need be. But the first thing I want to say is, given the nature of Scripture that we've seen so far, that God is Lord of His covenant people and He loves His covenant people, given that reality, our response to the Word of God should be one of humility. We should humble ourselves under the Word of the Lord. I, I don't think I could emphasize strongly enough how pervasive this idea is in the Bible from start to finish. The call to humble ourselves under the word of the Lord. To have humility under the word of the Lord. You know, when God called Adam and Eve, or when he created Adam and Eve in this covenant context in relationship with himself, he, he guided them and ruled them by his word. And where Adam and Eve went wrong in the end, or, or what you could say is, uh, one thing we can say about the nature of their sin is that they begin to distrust the goodness of the word of the Lord and the truthfulness of the word of the Lord. If you think about the temptations that Satan brought, did the Lord really say these things? And, uh, and, and, and uh, Satan um, questions the word of God. You will not surely die, he says. And... And Adam and Eve begin to think maybe the Lord is withholding something from us by giving us this word or this command that he's given us. I can, we can see that, that the, the tree is good. And so maybe what God has spoken to us is not good. So from the very beginning you see that, that sin arises from this lack of humility toward the truthfulness and trustworthy and goodness of the word. Sometimes we may not understand why God has given us a certain word or why God has commanded us a certain thing. But God being who he is and operating as he does in covenant love, we can always trust the truthfulness of his word, the rightness of his word, and the goodness of his word for us. And so you could say in, in this, where Adam and Eve went wrong is what, what rose out of their sinful hearts was a lack of humbling themselves under the word of the Lord in this way. I've been reading the book of Deuteronomy in my own personal reading uh, lately and I see again uh, all throughout the book of Deuteronomy how uh, Moses is continually pressing the people to say uh, you need to... You need to uh, as you engage with God's covenant word, do what is good in the sight of the Lord. And place, yourself in, in, uh, place yourselves under what is good in the sight of the Lord. And don't do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. This phrase, in the sight of the Lord, keeps coming up. And I, part of the reason for that is it's a call to say what is good in God's eyes is good. What is right in God's eyes is right. What's right in my eyes and good in my eyes uh, will not be right unless I humble myself under the word of the Lord, which is good and right. If you think about the book of Judges, the, what's going on in Israel is a spiraling 
out of control in the book of Judges. Uh, it's, it's cycles and circles of the people of God not following God, not obeying God, not trusting God. And you know the, the refrain that you hear in the book of Judges often is everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is the indictment on the people of Israel. They're not humbling themselves under the word of the Lord and asking what is right in God's eyes. Or if you think about, uh, let me mention just a couple more passages here. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 has always been a famous text of Scripture, and, and rightly so, but Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 captures this theme that is so pervasive in the Bible from start to finish. Listen to, listen to it again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So line after line here of pressing us away from, from trusting in our own hearts, from leaning on our own understanding, from being wise in our own eyes. Don't do that. That will only lead you to the path of destruction and failure and a lack of, of wisdom and goodness. So the whole call again is humble yourselves under the word of the Lord. Uh, Isaiah 66 2 also comes to mind here. Uh, let me just mention this one final passage on this point. Although this is a, a theme and an issue that could have its own class for four weeks or more because of how significant this reality is throughout the Bible from start to finish. Isaiah 66 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, heaven, and er heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. So he's declaring here his, his greatness, his power. And then he says, but this is the one to whom I will look. In other words, this is the type of person God desires us to be as human beings. What does it say? He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The type of person God loves to see is the type of person who humbles ourselves, who humbles himself or herself under him and who trembles at his word. So as the Lord of the covenant, as the ruler of our lives, God presses us to see the authority of his word and calls us not to be wise in our own eyes or to follow our own understanding, but to humble ourselves under his word. And it's always a fool's errand to do the opposite of that. Our human inclination is to want to follow our own wisdom or to follow our own ideas of what will make us happy and what, what will make us flourish. And I think what we see in Scripture is that any time we go down that, that road, it does not lead to flourishing. It actually does the opposite. It's a destructive path. 
So you can see here, even in the way we deal with Scripture, it's a call to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. We're not always going to see clearly what's going on in our lives or what God is doing or what He is up to or why He's given us particular commands. But if we learn enough what is good and wise, we will want to say what is good in God's eyes is what I need to follow and trust because he knows what's good for me better than I know what's good for me. I remember uh, a few years ago uh, when my kids were really little and uh, we were out riding bikes around the neighborhood and and uh, I gave a few instructions to my kids about uh, riding bikes as parents do sometimes. You know, we give instructions to our kids and of course our parenting is a reflection of God, which is why God calls children to um, humble themselves under, under their, the guidance and word of their parents and to listen to the instruction of their parents. Well, I said to my kids, one of the things I want you to not do is ride really closely to your brother or sister who's right in front of you. And I said this a few times. These were instructions that I gave. That's what was wise and, and right in my eyes. Ended up not being uh, the case for one of my children in particular. And so we were riding uh, along the street and one of my children who remained nameless uh, was riding really fast right up close behind uh, another one of my children. And, and uh, the one in front uh, put on the brakes. And so uh, one of my children went barreling into the back and this ended up being destructive for both children you see. So one of the things of not, list, of not humbling ourselves under the instruction of, of the Lord can do is not only uh, do damage to us, but do damage to others, of course. Right? So, the first heart response is humility under the Word. Secondly, the second response that we uh, should have to the Scriptures is one of obedience. Obedience to the word of the Lord. God's covenant is lived. It's a covenant for lived life. You know, God's covenants always happen in, uh, in a real place, in a real community, and are meant to be lived. If you read the book of Isaiah and other prophets in the Old Testament, you, you often find God saying to the people things like, your sacrifices are, are uh, I despise them, I hate them. They are a stench in my nostrils. And why does God say that? Because aren't these things God actually commanded the people to do, to make these sacrifices on the Sabbath day? And the answer to that is yes. So why is God now telling the people that he hates these sacrifices and their extension is nostrils? And it seems like it's always because God is saying to them, you are not living out my covenant. In particular, you're not uh, defending the cause of the poor and caring for those who are weak and caring for the the fatherless and the widow and the sojourner, and you are piling up for yourselves properties and riches and, and not, not living out the covenant instructions that I have given you for your good. 
And this is why the worship on the Sabbath is a stench in his nostrils. So his covenant is always meant to be uh, not just carried out in the, um, perhaps the outward acts of worship, um, but also, I'm talking about things like the sacrifices in the temple or whatever it might be. If what's going on the other six days of the week is not living out the character of God in the community that he has given. Love your neighbor as yourself is not going on in Israel. And therefore, the, when they come into the temple on a Sabbath or whatever they're doing, their worship is a stench in his nostrils. The covenant is given to us for, uh, to, to obey, which might sound harsh, but you know, as we've said many times, the commands of God are always good and right and holy. They are for our flourishing and flowing out of the loving grace of God for his people. Uh, and, and when Jesus comes to us and says these things, these things I, I command you so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be full. The commands of God are always for our good. Uh, even though when we talk of obedience and commands, it, you know, sometimes we can balk at that a little bit. But when we see that God's commands are always for our good, flowing out of the covenant love of God and the covenant grace of God for the flourishing of his people, then the reality is that obedience to the word is the only way to live a life of human flourishing under God. And the only way to, to find true happiness under God. Now this is interesting in another aspect that I want to highlight here. And I want to look at a passage from John 7 to make this point. I want to suggest to you that it's only in obedience to the word that we come to understand the word more deeply. It's not as though we come to understand the word first and then we obey it. The scriptures indicate to us in several ways that we come to understand the word uh, as we obey it, understand more deeply. And apart from a heart and a life of obedience, we won't come to understand the word of God like we should. John 7, 17, listen to what Jesus says here. It's very, it's very fascinating. John 7, 17, Jesus says, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. You notice how he puts this? If your will is to do God's will, you will come to know whether his teaching is from God or whether he is speaking on his own authority. I think what this indicates is that nobody believes or disbelieves the truthfulness of God's word based purely on uh, intellectual arguments, like we've said before, or trying to seek out whether, uh, with, with, with these questions, whether or not the word is true, or is it going to satisfy my intellectual curiosities? If it does, then I will obey. But what Jesus is teaching is, 
people come to believe and disbelieve the truthfulness of the word and his teaching, uh, in some ways, based on whether they want to or not, <laughs> you know, do you, do, you, uh, do you desire to obey God? If you do, then you'll come to see that his word is true and, and right and good. If you don't desire on the front end to obey God, then you're going to likely find the words of God to be unsatisfying and, and untrue. Uh, I had a family member a number of years ago that uh, would keep coming to me asking these intellectual questions about religious things. Uh, you know, he knew that I was uh, a pastor and uh, at the time in seminary and thinking about these things. And so he'd come to me a lot and, or just in conversation and ask me these intellectual questions about the faith. And after a while of this, I started to think, you know, I'm not sure he's really asking me these questions because he's genuinely desiring to find out if God is true and obey. It seems to me that it's beginning to take on the character of he's asking me these questions because of a desire not to obey. The more doubt he can cast on the truth of Scripture because of all these questions, the more he's getting what he really wants, a desire not to obey. So what, what seemed like curiosity at first, uh, after a while seemed to appear to me as not curiosity at all, but a, but a, a smokescreen for creating obstacles for obedience to the Word of God. And I think what Jesus is communicating here is that if you truly desire to obey God, you will discover that His Word is true in increasing measure. You know, theologians have talked in the past about faith-seeking understanding, which I think is a biblical concept. Faith-seeking understanding. It's not understanding-seeking faith. It's faith-seeking understanding, or it's, it's a heart that desires to obey God seeking understanding. And this goes back to the humility point, doesn't it? Um, I'm trusting God before I know all the answers. And maybe uh, I'm, I might not ever know all the answers. In fact, I won't know all the answers. The world is set up in such a way where we are finite and he is infinite and we won't always know the answers. If you think about the book of Job, uh, even after all that they went through, uh, Job still didn't have all the answers to the questions that he had, right? Now, this I'm not suggesting here that Christianity is a blind faith. Far from it, actually. Uh, I believe God has given us reason for a purpose. And the reason is good because it is created in the image of God. But the reason... Uh, is not the be-all, end-all. A heart uh, that desires to know God and desires to obey God is a heart that will increasingly know that the Word is true and increasingly, and increasingly as well understand the goodness of the Word. I hope this makes some sense. Um, 
Psalm uh, 25 uh, says something similar. Psalm 25, verse 12, it says, Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. So you hear, um, again, it's not saying here God will instruct so that he may fear. No, it says, Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him God will instruct in the way that he should choose. So, I think what Scripture is calling us to do is to come to the Scriptures with a heart that desires to understand and a heart that desires to obey God. And in that life of trusting desire to know and obey God, He will teach us more and more of Himself. I think this is, this is, this is true often. Think about the way you read the Bible. I want to see if your experience is this way. I know mine has been. And that is, you know, when you read a, pa- when you read a passage of Scripture uh, a number of different times over, over the course of your life, you, you learn new things from the same passage that you've read many times before, right? And the question is, why is that? Has the passage you're reading changed since the, since the last time you read it? No, it hasn't. What has happened? What has happened is you have changed since the last time you read it. Your experiences have, uh, have developed. Your, your faith has developed. The questions you're asking are not the same questions you were asking before, you see. So you, you learn new and deeper things about Scripture because of who you are. And so what I'm suggesting is as you grow in a life of faith and obedience, you also grow in your understanding of the truth. Uh, I think it might have been William Blake who said, a wise man and a foolish man don't look at the same tree. What he means by that is, uh, or the, the foolish man and the wise man don't see the same tree, even though they're looking at the same tree. Why? Because, not because the, the tree is different, but because the people are different. Okay? And so I think this is what Jesus is saying too. A wise man who has a heart of, of willing trust and a desire to know and obey the Lord is the one who will come to know the Lord in deeper ways. So I, all of that to say obedience to the Word is a heart posture that we need to have. And of course, this is uh, many ways we could say this in the Scripture as well. I've pointed out to you before uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, for example, when Jesus is giving us his command, so to speak, he says that the wise man who builds his house on the rock is the one who hears these words of mine and does them. That's the wise man, not the one who has all the intellectual answers, but the one who hears these words of mine and does them. He will find that the word of Jesus proves true and flourishing for your life and good for you. The, the foolish man who builds his house on the sand is the one who hears these words of mine and does not do them. I had a, a, per, a man say to me a number of years ago, uh, I, I came to him with some words from the Sermon on the Mount in order to plead with him to uh, change his direction in life. <laughs> uh, 
And I said to him, you see, Jesus says this very plainly right here. And uh, so I think that God would have you not take this path you're taking. And he said to me, Jesus uh, doesn't expect and demand uh, that we keep these words all the time. He's gracious to us. And uh, I don't recall if I said this to him or not, but I've since, you know, thought through this carefully. As you get to the end of that Sermon on the Mount, I'm thinking that's not what Jesus is saying here at all, is it? He said, whoever hears these words of mine that I've just been saying and does them is a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And so what you're doing here is not only disobeying the Lord, but you are missing the flourishing of life that he gives to you which is good it's the same thing that adam and eve did right i know jesus says this in the sermon on the mount but this other path seems better more happy wiser to me and so that's what i'm going to do jesus is gracious and forgiving no doubt about it but that's not at odds with him calling us to an earnest obedience to his word In fact, an earnest obedience to his word is part of his grace to us because the word that he's giving to us is for our good, for his glory. All right. So those first two categories I've given remind us of the authority of Scripture, okay? Let me say a third one here. Uh, A third heart posture toward the word is that we should trust the word to, to... have the power to change us we should trust the word to have to be able to effectively change us okay and i want to move quickly here um, because i've got a few more to go and i know we're going to run out of time so uh, a couple of scriptures on this point notice in first peter 1 verses 22 to 25 peter says having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth that's an interesting line there isn't it by having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So first point to make here is that you, you are born again through the word of God. That's, it is the word of God that, that causes you to be born again. And he goes on to quote here from uh, the Old Testament. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So think about it. The good news that was preached to you in the gospel, the word of the Lord in the gospel, is what caused you to be born again. So the, the word has power to cause you to be born again, but it also has power to uh, continually... And effectively change you and transform you. Think about Hebrews 4, this famous passage. It says, uh, verse 12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And then it says, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now that last part might feel scary. 
the word of the Lord, it, it divides the soul and spirit. It, it reveals the thoughts and tensions of the heart and it exposes us all and no creature is hidden from his sight. Well, that, that might make some of us want to run from the Lord. Remember, if we have a heart that does not want to obey, then we're going to run from that kind of thing. But if we're like David and what he says at the end of Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart and see if there is any wicked way in me. That's a great prayer, isn't it? Are we willing to pray that? And if we are willing to pray that, then it's, it's, it's the Scriptures that will do this best in our, our lives. It's the Word of the Lord that will, will reveal the thoughts and, ten, and intentions of our heart. Enable us to see sin that is hurting us and, and uh, dishonoring to God. And it will enable us to see the goodness of God's way and truth like nothing else. And so, all this to say, when we come to Scripture, we should humble ourselves under the Word, we should obey the Word, we should trust the effectiveness of the Word to change us. And here I'm thinking, if we're thinking about the theological categories, this would be the, the necessity and the sufficiency of Scripture rolled into one. We need Scripture in order to change for the better and scripture is sufficient and able to do the work of causing us to be born again and uh, revealing sin and uh, showing us the way of God well fourth the fourth heart posture we should have you could say this a heart posture is that we should pursue the word of the Lord in the scriptures endlessly Endlessly, we should do this, okay? Again, thinking about Deuteronomy, it strikes me how much God suggests to the people of Israel that His Word in the covenant should be a part of their lives. How much should we do this? On the Sabbath? Morning devotions every day? Well, it seems as though what Moses is suggesting is no. The word of the Lord should be a part of your existence at all times. It should be coursing through every part of your life. God's covenant words, when you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk along the way, when you sit down at the table, there is never a time when the word of the Lord should not be coursing through your life. Is that a burden? No, it could not be the opposite. It could not be more of the opposite. If the word of the Lord is good, and we'll say more about that in a moment, then this is a gift, not a burden. And the people of Israel were, you know, he says, write it on the doorposts, uh, hang it on these parts of your clothing, uh, put it on your foreheads, whatever. Keep the word of the Lord before you always. Or what about Psalm 1? Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You see, this is uh, never a time when this is not uh, meant to be an endless pursuit for us. The person who is that way, who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night, is the person who's like a tree planted by streams of water 
whose leaf does not wither. This is always meant to be part of us. Or as Jesus says in John 15, the way we have life in Him and we abide in Him is by abiding in His words. Maybe one other passage on this. uh, Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. Notice the earnest pursuit here of the words of the Lord. Proverbs 2, beginning in verse 1, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord. Uh, You can kind of see a lot of the points we've made in that, can't you? But what, what, what I'm noticing here is just the earnest pursuit of the word of the Lord. It's, a, it's an earnest pursuit. It's an endless pursuit. You know, I was just thinking about this this week. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm almost 42 years old. And I started reading the Bible uh, earnestly when I was 16, 17 years old. And I have not stopped doing that for 25 years. And uh, what strikes me about that is, you know, I think over the last year of my life, I have discovered new wonders and treasures in the Scriptures in some ways like I haven't before. 25 years of earnest, earnest reading of the Bible. And I just make that point to say, I can testify to you as an almost a 42-year-old man that the treasures in the Scripture are an endless wonder. And no amount of filling your life with the Scriptures, not even for 25 years, will uh, cause you to have it all down or have it mastered or have it all figured out or not have more to learn You know, the glory of God is infinitely glorious. (laughs) Uh, There are infinite vistas to be discovered. And I'm learning that more and more. Things that I have never uh, discovered, perhaps, or ways of engaging with the Bible that I have not uh, seen or known or, or wonders and beauties of this journey through God's Word. Uh, have have gripped me and grabbed me over the last year in some new and fresh ways. And I, again, that's, that's a, a commending of the wonder of the Scripture, but it's also a commending of the goodness of pursuing the Word endlessly and relentlessly. And to say uh, there's never a time, never a time in any day of the week, any week of the year, any year of your life, when the Scriptures ought not to be coursing through our lives because the Scriptures are pressing us to see the glory of the Lord and the beauty of the Lord and the wisdom of God and the grace of God and the truthfulness of God and the faithfulness of God and calling us into communion with Himself. So, never a time. Let me say uh, two more quickly here. 
Number five, expect the Lord to reveal himself to you. Expect the Lord to reveal himself to you as you encounter the scriptures. Now, this doesn't mean that every time you read the Bible, you're going to come away with sort of these feelings of heart full and all that. We know that that's not always the case when we read the Bible. But God does shape us uh, even in those moments of when it's seemingly not working for us. You know, it's, it's not always, uh, somebody said to me re- recently, or I heard somebody say recently, if you, if you think every encounter you have with Scripture is going to be like a Mount Sinai experience, then you haven't known uh, what it is to live the Christian life. In the scriptures, what God does is daily, a daily shaping of us, even in those days when it doesn't seem like it's, you know, tickling our fancy for one in one way or another. Um, God still shapes us and works in us. And some days there will be these delights. But I say, expect the Lord to reveal himself to you. I just noticed what we read from Proverbs 2. It says, if you, notice how it says this, if you treasure up my commandments, if you incline your heart to them, if you call out for insight, if you seek it like silver, if you search for it like hidden treasure, then you notice what verse 5 says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. It, it doesn't say that sometimes you will and sometimes you won't. When you do these things, you will find it. And that's not because of the the sufficiency of your seeking and searching. It's not that at all. The reason that that is true is because God desires to make himself known to you and to his people. The fact that we can trust God will reveal himself in the scriptures to us when we read them and expect him to do so begins with God's overflowing grace and goodness and desire. You know, when Jesus says... um, when Jesus is calling us to pray to God as a father, and he says, earthly fathers give good things to their children, how much more would a heavenly father give good things to his children when they ask him? And in one place in Luke 11, he says, how much more would God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Well, I, we can apply this to our, our reading of the scriptures, right? When we read this covenant gift of grace and love that God has given to us, what we're doing is reading the gift of a father to his children, which means as I, as I in, uh, earnestly pursue the scriptures day in and day out, I know that I'm coming before a father who delights to give good things to his children, which means he desires to reveal himself to us in his word. Or as, as I'd like to point out in, in Luke chapter 12, when Jesus says, it is the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Well, I take that to mean, too, as I'm reading his word. It's his good pleasure to teach me, to reveal himself to me, to shape me. Now, let me say one last one here, uh, and that is, uh, by the way, that last one I'm talking about the clarity of Scripture, okay? That's the theological term for it. And the clarity of Scripture does not mean everything is really clear in the Bible. What it does mean is God has revealed himself to us and desires to make himself known to his children, has created us in such a way that we can know him by his grace as well. Finally, uh, delight in the scriptures. Delight in the word. And I'll merely say on this, uh, because our time is up, the people in the Bible who pursue the word of the Lord most earnestly are the ones who talk about it in such deeply 
uh, affectionate terms, right? And, and uh, I think about Psalm 19. Psalm 119 obviously is this way too. But Psalm 19, beginning in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. There's the sufficiency of Scripture there. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. There are all the things we've talked about here, right? The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. The word of the Lord is more to be desired than gold. And we, we want to come to the place in our lives where the sparkly stuff in this world that we chase after all the time cannot hold a candle to the beauty of the scriptures. It's worth more than gold. It's sweeter than honey. And when we truly grow in depth of understanding of the word, we, we should discover that more and more all that glitters is not gold and all that is gold does not glitter okay uh, but the more and more we discover the grace of God in the scriptures we, sh we should more and more see what Jesus is saying if you desire to do my will you will see that what I'm saying is true and not only true but but worth more than gold as David says, worth more than thousands of pieces of silver and gold and sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. Okay, well, I've uh, said too much once again, but I hope that these six heart postures will help you as you engage with Scripture. Any quick comments or thoughts, questions? All right. Well, let me pray for us, and then we'll uh, head on to the meeting. Father, thank you for these four weeks of thinking about your word together. And I know there's so many things to still be thought through in terms of our reading of the Bible. But I pray, Lord, that you will help us uh, to at least... Uh, be changed by these realities that your word is living and active in us and you come to be present with us through your word and you commune with us father son and spirit by your word and God I pray that as we come into covenant life with you covenant love with you that we would humble ourselves under your word and that we would obey your word and find your word to be uh, uh, flourishing for us and that we would trust the effectiveness of your word to change us and shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to delight in your word so much that we meditate on your word day and night and we pursue your word endlessly because it's our joy to do so. Not because we see the scriptures as a burden. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to trust you, that you reveal yourself to us. You will make yourself known to us. You will grow us in knowing you as we grow deeper in your word. And Lord, I pray you, only you can do this. 
I pray that you would enable us to delight in your word. Help us to taste and see that you are good as we read your word. Help us, Lord, to see that your word is sweeter than honey and worth more than any kind of treasure we could gain in this world, which will just rust and grow old. But the word of the Lord will stand forever because you are eternal and you are good. Lord, we need your help with this. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you guys for... You've been listening to a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Cornerstone U exists to have our minds renewed by the Word of God, to see who God is, and to live in light of His Word and Gospel. To find out more about previous Cornerstone U classes, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com forward slash cornerstone dash U.